Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, listen, if you have your Bibles, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, as we continue in our teaching series, uh, which we've entitled, Why Did Jesus Say? And this morning, the question that we're going to be asking is, why did Jesus say, whoever divorces and marries another commits adultery? So today's going to be a really interesting topic. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, <coughs> I wanted to ask you all a question. <laughs> Have you ever uh, noticed how shopping online has gotten to be so popular, especially in the last year? How many of you have bought something online in the last year on, and had it delivered to you? How many, let, me, let me ask it the other way. How many of you have not done that? It has become so common to, to uh, purchase things online because I think it's become very convenient, and we trust uh, Amazon and the other companies that we're ordering from. It's crazy how you can order anything from groceries to movies uh, to office supplies, and they will be delivered straight to your door, sometimes the same day. And it's, it's really gotten us to a place of being spoiled, hasn't it? Uh, if I'm going online and I see uh, two days or more, I'm like, oh, that's too long. And, I, and I'll go try to find it for, for quicker. Um, it's very convenient because it comes quickly, but it's also convenient because of returns. Have you noticed that? That you can usually return anything. Kelly and the girls were getting ready for a, uh, a they wanted a, for a formal. I forgot what Christians call it. So it's a formal. And uh, so they were looking for dresses, and they end up ordering like 3,000 dresses because they knew they could return the 2,999 that they did not like. It's that convenient. And uh, there, it's, you know, we're in a, a society where there's no pressure when you purchase something. It's like, if I don't like it, I'll just send it back with no questions asked. But have you noticed that the more valuable or more expensive an item is, the, the seller is not willing to accept returns. For example, if you buy a car or a piece of land or a house, once you leave the closing, it's done, it's final. Now, if you're on the side of the seller, you're like, it's done. But how many times have you experienced um, buyer's regret? I don't know why it's like this, but if you buy a, a used car, you get home, the minute you've paid for it, you hear things that you did not hear, you see things that you did not see, and the same thing with a, a house that you buy. But the only problem is you can't just return it. Now, you might be able to sell it and uh, recoup some of your money back, but typically, it's, 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 a, it's something you're, you're going to be stuck with in one sense. But let me ask you this. What about marriage? What about when it comes to marriage? What happens when you sign on that dotted line? And on your honeymoon or whatever you do, you begin noticing things you didn't notice before the purchase. You, you begin to notice flaws uh, that you didn't notice during courtship question I have is, is there a return policy for marriage? 
Uh, and that's what we're going to be exploring this morning. Um, is there a return policy or are all sales final? And so uh, two questions I want us to, to ask or answer is, what is marriage? And the second one is, does God permit divorce and remarriage be, um, in, in any cases? And listen, before we dig into this, I want to uh, give t- uh, one reminder and two fears that I have. One reminder and two fears. I want to remind us why we exist. Why do we exist? To glorify God. All right, well, I'm going to ask that again because this is something that we have to know. If you don't know why you exist, you won't do what you were created to do, right? So why do we exist? To glorify God. We exist to glorify God. In other words, we exist for God. He doesn't exist for us. We exist for him, not the other way around. And as disciples of Jesus, we need, uh, before we ask, what do I want? We need to ask, what glorifies God in this situation, specifically this morning in marriage? That's what I want to remind you of. I've got two fears I want to share with you as I'm going through with this. And the first is the fear of crushing someone this morning who is already wounded by divorce or by marriage. And, you know, this is an extremely sensitive topic. I know that everyone in this room has been affected by it. I, myself, and and Kelly, almost, uh, we were separated, most of you know, uh, a year and a half at the beginning of our marriage while she was pregnant. It was not a, uh, a very easy time. So I understand on a, a real a firsthand level what divorce can be like and what, what, how difficult this can be. And so I don't want to reopen wounds, and I don't want to put any type of uh, weight on someone that's already struggling with the topic of divorce and remarriage. Uh, so there's a fear that, that that could happen this morning. But I want you to know that my desire, and I've been praying about this this week, is that... that um, this morning, we will have a better understanding of marriage, divorce, and remarriage in a way that brings life to our body. So that's the first fear. The second fear is being a pastor. Uh, and I really mean that. Uh, Terry and I talk about this on a regular basis. There is a fear and trembling to get up here and, and preach God's word. Because I'm telling you what I believe God is telling us is wanting us to know. That is a very scary place to be in, especially on this topic, on the topic of marriage. Um, God says in Hebrews 13 that we are to honor marriage and, and that God will judge anyone that defiles the marriage bed. This is not a, a light topic uh, about like overeating or something like that. This is more heavy. It, it carries a lot of weight with it. And so this morning, I do not desire to uh, preach what the Word of God does not preach. There's, there's a statement that you want to stay on the line. Like this is what God teaches. You don't want to go above it like the Pharisees did. They added to what God said, and you don't want to go below it. You don't want to free people from what God has commanded. You want to teach what God has taught. And so I want you to know that this morning, uh, my desire is that I would faithfully deliver life-giving truths and that I would be open to uh, changing my view if, it, if, if I find out that it doesn't align with what God is teaching. Okay, so with that said, I want to pray and ask God uh, to direct this morning by His Spirit uh, that we would be receptive to His Word. This, this Word I'm going to preach is, affects everybody. 
whether you're single or married or in between. So let's pray. Father, in the beginning, uh, the Word says that, that you created the heavens and the earth. Your Word reveals that everything was created by you and for you. It was created to glorify you. That means that we were created by you and for you, to glorify you. And that means that when you designed marriage, that you created it for you, to be glorif- for us to, to glorify you through marriage. And so this, this morning, Lord, as we open your word, I ask that you would help us. You say that your sheep hear your voice. Lord, we need to hear your voice this morning. Uh, we need you to give us understanding of your uh, purposes. We also need you to empower us by your spirit to live um, what, you, what you want us to live, to live lives that, that reveal your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. And Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, when it came to divorce during Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought on divorce that did not agree with one another. And they argued over a, an Old Testament passage that was given by Moses found in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And in that passage, Moses allows a husband to divorce his wife and send her away if they find, uh, if they find something called in, an indecency in her. And so there was this debate among these two schools of what the the word indecency meant in order to justify a divorce in the eyes of God. Now, the stricter school of Shammai said that divorce was permitted by God only on the grounds of adultery. If your spouse commits adultery, then God will allow you to divorce your spouse. The looser school of Hillel said that divorce was permissible on about any, any grounds. If your wife displeased you, they cooked you a meal that was burnt, they made uh, you eat gluten-free uh, bread and eat healthy, things like that, men that we know about. Or if the husband found someone that they thought was more attractive, they could just divorce their wife and marry another. And so they say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus continues in verse 4, he says, have you not read? I'm going to stop right there. That's a good question, isn't it? That's a good question for us. Have you read the scriptures? Now, we know that Jesus, this is a rhetorical question that Jesus is asking these men because they are the Pharisees. He knows they've read the Bible. They've, They've memorized most of it. They know it better than anybody. So I think what Jesus is, he's not saying, Have y'all read the Bible? He's saying, I know you've read the Bible, but I don't think you've understood it. And so he's going to spend the next few verses explaining some things that they need to understand. He's saying before we can answer uh, when can a marriage be dissolved, we need to understand what marriage is. And that's the question I want to answer right now. What is marriage? Who gets to define it? Are we free to marry anyone or anything we like? Are you free to marry a tree or a, uh, a mountain or a potato? 
uh, and call it Mrs. Potato Head? Or are you, are you able to marry like an inanimate object? I uh, saw an, a documentary years ago on a, a girl who claimed to be in love with a roller coaster, and she said that she wanted to marry it. Uh, th- these are things that um, uh, we deal with in our society. Who gets to, who gets to define what marriage is? Society is attempting to redefine marriage, but as disciples of Jesus, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, we seek to glorify God by understanding Jesus' view on marriage. That's important that we understand that. What was Jesus' view on marriage? Because his view determines our view. And that's what he's going to share in the next few verses. Verse 4, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Notice Jesus' progression here. In order to answer the question, He doesn't just answer it. He begins at beginning. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he explains that what God's original intent, what God's original plan was for marriage. And he clearly states that God made them male and female. Now, Jesus could have said when he was talking to the Pharisees, he could have said, he who created them from the beginning made humans or mankind. But he deliberately emphasizes the distinct genders, sexes of male and female. Let's let's not miss this as we're moving forward. Uh, Jesus is defining marriage as being one man and one woman, okay, by God. God is the one that defines that. He then continues by quoting Genesis 2, verse 24. In verse 5, he does. Let's, Let's look at that. And he said, therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, I want to be clear here that I've read this sometimes, and I'm like, does that mean that the woman's not commanded to leave her father and mother and and cleave to the husband? I think what... what, uh, the writer of Genesis is emphasizing or is teaching here is that it is uh, the role of the man to take initiative, to come out from under his parental, his parental authority. He needs to get rid of his video games, uh, cut his mama's apron spring, uh, strings, and take responsibility by becoming the head of a new and distinct family unit. So the two are to forsake all others and come together as one. I like how Jay Adams describes what that means. He says, God's revealed goal for a husband and wife is to become one in all areas of their relationship, intellectually, emotionally, physically. So what we've seen here in the first few verses of our passage today, marriage was designed by God for the glory of God, and it involves a male and a female, coming together and being united by an unbreakable bond that is meant to last a lifetime. I want us to make sure we understand what Jesus is doing here at the very beginning. He's wanting to make sure we understand what marriage was meant for, the the intent of marriage. Uh, Divorce was not a part of God's original plan. We need to understand that. That was not God's original plan. That's why Jesus adds what therefore God has joined together, let not man 
separate. Uh, which takes us to the next question, which is, does God ever, does God ever permit divorce? I, I don't think there's uh, anyone in here who would argue whether man permits it. But what we want to know is, does Jesus permit it? Does God permit divorce? When it comes to marriage, is there a 30-day return policy, uh, especially if I agree to pay the return shipping and handling fees? And I think the Pharisees clearly understand that Jesus is denouncing the idea of easy, no-fault divorce in this passage. Um, he's, he's teaching that a man is not allowed to arbitrarily, he doesn't have the authority to arbitrarily dissolve a marriage. But what about God? Does God ever do that? And that's why I think in verse 7 they said to him, Why then? If, if, if God is saying, let not uh, man put asunder what God has brought together, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Notice what they say. Why did Moses command this? What they're doing is, again, they're referring back to Deuteronomy 24 uh, concerning the debate over the word indecency. And so Jesus said to them in verse 8, because of your hardness of heart, now look at this, Moses allowed. He's correcting them. He's saying, Moses did not command it. He allowed it, you to divorce your wives. And then he goes back to creation again. But from the beginning, it was not so. But from the beginning, this was not God's intent. And then in verse 9, he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Again, just to summarize, Jesus goes back to the beginning of creation. He teaches that God's plan was a lifelong bond between one man and one woman. But divorce was sometimes permitted. Why? And this is the question that, that I want us to look at. The, uh, I want to give an answer to this. Jesus says it's because of man's hardness of heart, because of sin. Now, what does that, even, what does that mean? Well, I believe that Jesus right here is showing the compassionate heart of God. Um, he is allowing divorce in some cases, and we're going to get to more deeply into that, but in some cases, God does allow divorce. Why? To protect the innocent spouse from being abused or harmed by a hard-hearted spouse. We need to understand that, that that's what's going on here uh, with God. And with that in mind, I want to I give, uh, I want to cautiously uh, talk about two circumstances where I and Pastor Terry agree that God allows uh, divorce. Now, I want to reemphasize something. God allows it, but he doesn't command it, okay? I want to make sure that, that uh, we're very clear on that. Divorce is not like a commandment. God never commands someone to divorce someone. The first place is in sexual immorality. Uh, we've already seen this in verse 9. Let's look at that again. And I say to you, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. That Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia, and it covers a variety of sexual immoral acts such as prostitution, adultery, pedophilia, homosexuality, incest, 
premarital sex and bestiality. And in this passage, Jesus is saying that divorce for any other reason, in this passage, any other reason than sexual immorality does not dissolve a marriage in the eyes of God. That's what he's, I believe he's teaching that here. Um, that's why Jesus says, if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he commits adultery. Because God has not, in, that, in those circumstances, released him from their marriage in order to marry another. So let's say that someone, um, someone's spouse does commit sexual uh, immorality, and it's to a degree that the marriage, they cannot, for some reason, they cannot be restored in their marriage. Um, and God allows that divorce. A question that's probably going to come to our minds is, is that individual, the innocent one, are they free to remarry after that? Now, this is where this is not, uh, this, what I'm about to share here is not, uh, even what I've already shared, uh, not everybody agrees on. Even within uh, Protestant churches, even in what we would, might, would call conservative Bible-believing churches. Uh, but I'm going to share what I, how I see Scripture and uh, how I see it uh, interpreted. And if you, have, if you don't agree with it, I would love to sit down and talk with you afterwards. This is a church where this is not like, thus saith the Lord up here and you can't say anything. We want to sit down and talk. I don't know how many times uh, people talk to us and we were like, okay, I didn't see it that way, but I can see it that way. Okay, so... Um, the question uh, is, can someone remarry? And I believe that Jesus is saying yes. Uh, because let's look at verse 9 again. He says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, all right, he puts a clause in here, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. What he's doing here is he's implying the converse. And I'm going to read it to you in the converse. Whoever divorces his wife for sexual immorality and marries another does not commit adultery. That's what he is saying in this passage. In other words, when God releases the offended party from a marriage, he also allows them to remarry without sinning. So that would be the first one that we would, that we would see as being uh, a permissible divorce by God. Secondly, uh, Paul introduces in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verses 12 through 15, he, in, he introduces another exception, a second exception that allows a marriage to be dissolved in the eyes of God, which is desertion. Now I'm going to read through this passage and then, then kind of walk through it uh, together. Verse 10, Paul says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Now, he's speaking in this, in verses 10 through 11, he's speaking to two believers. We need to understand this. He's, he's talking to two uh, Christians. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Verse 12, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is, under, uh, who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. But if the unbelieving partner leaves or separates, 
let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, I want to look at this real quick. Um, verse 10, I want to go back and look at verse 10. I want to point out uh, the, the little phrase that Paul says, not I, but the Lord. Basically, what he's saying here is that this is what Jesus taught when he was on the face of the earth. And that if uh, that two believers need to stay together uh, and they need, they need not separate, but if they do separate, they're not free to remarry if it's not a, a biblical reason. They need to work it out. They need to come back together. But look at verse 12. He says, to the rest I say, I not the Lord. Have you ever, thought of, have you ever read that and thought, what is Paul talking about here? I not the Lord. Is, is Paul saying, you know what, I'm going to give you some advice that God hasn't given. No, this is inspired word of God. What he's doing is he, he's saying, I'm going to address an issue that the Lord Jesus did not uh, directly address during his earthly ministry. And during Jesus's earthly ministry, who did he minister to? The Jews. So everybody was a Jew that he ministered to. In this case, in Corinth's case, Gentiles had now entered into the church. And so Paul is addressing a new situation where it was possible for a Christian, a Jew or a Gentile to be married to a non-Christian, a condition that Jesus did not directly address while he was uh, having his earthly ministry. And so Paul basically says, in verse 12, he says, you know, if the unbeliever is willing to stay with you and you are a believer, then don't divorce them. But if they leave, you are free to divorce them. Look at verse 15. It says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother, I want you to look at this word here, is, a, is not, or sister, is not enslaved. That's, that's an important word to understand. That means to uh, be firmly bound by an obligation, or a relationship. And so Paul is implying that forbidding an abandoned spouse to be divorced would be similar to capturing that spouse in slavery, keeping them enslaved while the, the other spouse goes their own way and saying, you cannot, you cannot divorce them, you cannot remarry. You have to pay a penalty for their sin. And so as I see it, as I see Scripture right now today, as I've studied Scripture and I've, I've tried to seek the heart of God, what I see is that adultery and desertion are two legitimate grounds for divorce and remarriage. And, you know, actually this is a view that the Protestant church has held at least since the Reformation. And for uh, most of my life, now I wanna, I'm going to give a little caveat here, and this might be where it gets a little warmer in here uh, for some people. It might actually get uh, cooler for some others. But uh, I used to hold a strict view that it must be adultery and it must be uh, desertion. Uh, if it's not adultery and if it's, it's not desertion, these specific sins, then God does not permit divorce. And that is until I began to study, uh, study this a little bit deeper. And uh, I read uh, some writings from a guy that I respect. His name's Wayne Grudem. His, he's an American theologian. Um, he also used to hold to that adultery and desertion were the only two uh, possible reasons for divorce. Um, until he began to study verse 15 of, of 1 Corinthians 7. I want to look at this, this verse again. And there's three words in this uh, verse, it says, in such 
cases. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, it's important, it's, it's interesting to understand that as he began to study this, this passage and that phrase, that Greek phrase, it's a Greek phrase that's found nowhere else in the New Testament. It's also found nowhere else in the Old Testament. But it does, in the, there, there are extra biblical uh, literature outside the Bible where there is this, there's this phrase that, that means something, that has a context. And it means to refer to more kinds of situations than just the specific situation that's being pointed to. I don't know if I'm making sense. I'm going to give an example here in just a second to hopefully clear this up. But they're using this example to show, to to give a broader uh, example for situations like this example. We we do this if when we study the Old Testament law. I want to look at Exodus 21:33. Now let me ask you this: Does the does the uh, Old Testament law can we learn uh, how we should love one another, another and treat one another by looking at the Old Testament law? We can, can't we? There are principles within the law that teach us things. Even let's let's read this one right here. When an ox, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. When a man, who might be an ox, opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. Okay, so what's in this this passage? A man digs a pit, he's negligent, somebody's ox and donkey falls, or donkey falls into it. What's he supposed to do? Make restitution. Does that apply to us? I don't have an ox. I don't have a donkey. That ain't for me. Well, see, that's not, what if, the, what if back then um, somebody's camel f- falls into that hole? Or their gerbil or whatever falls into that hole <laughs> and dies? Can the digger of the hole, the pit, is he still liable? Or can he go, no, 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 no. The Bible says uh, ox or donkey. That was not an ox. That was not, no, that's not the intent of that law. That law is basically God's heart that in such cases as this, that if you harm your neighbor because of your, ne- your negligence, that's, this is what it's teaching, you need to love your neighbor by making restitution for whatever it is. Okay, you see what I'm, are you you following my, this train of thought here? We do this with passages like this, but when it's come to marriage and divorce, we haven't typically done this. And I'm not just making this up because that phrase in 1 Corinthians is that kind of phrase in such cases as desertion. Paul is saying that, implying that divorce is a legitimate possibility, not only in cases specifically of desertion, by an unbeliever, but also in other equally destructive situations within a marriage that are similar to, but not necessarily exactly, desertion. And so I I do tend to agree with this view because um, sometimes in marriages, uh, a person can get into a toxic and abusive marriage where a spouse is really, literally enslaving an individual within marriages. I've seen it uh, over and over. And what this, what individuals will do, there's times that, that they know the word of God. And so this passage, the passages that I'm talking about, they'll say, you know what? 
I haven't committed adultery, and I have not deserted you, and I'm willing to stay with you. And according to the word of God, you can't leave me. You are bound to me. All the while, they are uh, abusing them. And this could be, they, this could be in, in, in a lot of different, uh, physically, it could be mentally, it could be psychologically. And I, and I wanna move, would wanna move really slow on some of these things. But uh, they're, they're actually trying to teach, they are, they are teaching the letter of the law and using it instead of exercising the spirit of the law. Why did God permit divorce? I believe he permits it to protect the one that is innocent. Because in these situations, one of the, in the scenarios that we've given you, one of the, pe- the pe- people in it did not want the divorce. But it was, they were in a, it was a destructive situation. Marriage was designed by God to be a haven, a safe haven for family members, not a, a, pri- a prison of abuse. And so God is not glorified when, when one spouse uses marriage to imprison others under the guise of for better or for worse till death do us part. When in reality, what's going on is ongoing violent acts of abuse against their spouse and even their children. And so knowing the heart of, of Jesus, uh, we, I just, I know that Jesus's intent for marriage was not to trap an individual with an abuser. I hope, we, I hope we all agree with that. Um, he came to set the oppressed free, to lift up the downcast. And, and I believe that um, there, are, there are other kinds of abuse that fall under in such cases other than just desertion. It's, it's cases that are destructive. Proverbs 13, I'm sorry, Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And listen, church, we have got to be a church that does not shrink back from this. Uh, This is an area that for some reason, um, people do not want to get involved with this. And I think it's because it's, it's so messy. And, and it's difficult, but we cannot shrink back from this when spouses and, and children are being trapped in an abusive marriage. And uh, listen, this morning, if you are in a, uh, a physically abusive marriage, my encouragement would be for you to get to a safe place. Uh, also, uh, we would want to help you if, if you need help getting to a safe place. Um, you just need to contact us and let us know. We will, by God's grace, be a church that helps you uh, to do that. We would want to uh, get you to a safe place so that the whole situation can be examined and, and, and we wouldn't want to move uh, forward uh, in, a, in a wrong way. But uh, I know that this is a very heavy teaching, what I'm teaching this morning. It, it's extreme. I can feel it. Um, and I know it's a, it's a dangerous teaching. What, what I just taught is, is extremely dangerous because there are some people who would hear what I'm saying, and they're like, oh, that's my way out of my marriage. Um, they might wrongly appeal to what I just shared. And you're not, you're not in a, an abusive marriage. You're just in a regular dif- difficult one. Amen? Amen. <laughs> marriage is difficult. There's times, if we're all honest, except for me, we've all wanted to leave our marriages <laughs> at, at some point, Right? 
Their marriage is difficult. Um, and so we got to be careful that, you know, when, when I use that word abuse, that can be totally like misused. And, and because really in your heart, you're looking for a way out. You're, you're hoping that something will happen so that you think that you can get out of the marriage. And that is not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying in those cases, stick in there and work that thing out. Because, because divorce was not part of God's original plan. And so I, I come to this topic. I shared all that with fear and trembling, knowing that it can be uh, misunderstood and misused. Um, so if, you're not, if you are in a difficult marriage, I want to encourage you. Um, well, let me define what that means. You're not getting along. Uh, you feel like you've grown apart. Maybe you have different interests. You don't like each other right now, and you're contemplating divorce. I want to encourage you to, to repent of that, uh, to not go that direction. I want to counsel you not to throw in the towel. I want to encourage you to glorify God in your marriage. Uh, Jesus died for us. And you're going to have to die at times in your marriage for your spouse. He died and he rose again. And that means that you're not left there in your own power to make it through your marriage. Jesus wants to, because he's risen from the dead, because he sent his Holy Spirit, he wants to empower us to work through our marriages. And here's, here's a promise I want to give you. Um, I'm probably going to get, Boaz, I'm going to probably get you to link my testimony in, in the bottom of this YouTube um, message. But uh, Kelly and I, if you know our story, we should not be married today. We should only have one child, and, but we have six. And God has redeemed our marriage. But you know why? It's because we came back together. I repented of my areas that I needed to repent of, and we fought, and God met us where we're at. I want to tell you, that's not just for us. That's for any two couples. Now, it takes two, but that's for anybody that is willing to fight. God's grace will come in your midst, and he will bring you life in Christ Jesus and give you a marriage that you did not dream was possible. Now, it's going to take, it's not easy. It's going to take energy. It's going to take you dying, both of you. But in that, Christ lives in the midst of it. So I want to, I want to encourage you, if you're in a place where you want to leave your marriage, reconsider, okay? And also to surround yourself with a community, that's going to help you. The reason that I see people walking out of marriages is not because they were like focused on Christ and wanting to grow in the gospel. That, I have never seen that happen. And they go, you know, we're growing apart. <laughs> have you? It's usually the people, the person, myself included, is focused on something else. And it, and it takes us apart. Christ, when we grow in Christ, it brings us together. So that's to those of us who are married and we're maybe considering divorce. Secondly, you're, you say you're already divorced. What, where do I go from here? And, it, and you say it wasn't biblical. Let me ask you this. Is it too late to reconcile? That, that would be a question I would ask. Is it too late? And if not, pray and, and try to move towards reconciliation. That's what, that's what uh, first, uh, uh, Corinthians 7 verse 10 is talking about. Go back to them. Try to reconcile if possible. Now, maybe you're divorced this morning, and you're already married on, and as you've been sitting here, you're like, you know what? That, I, what we did was unbiblical. Um, is there any hope for us? What, what, where do I do, go from here? How do I glorify? Can I glorify God? And what I want to do is, uh, I think the word's de, de, 
stigmatize something. Uh, divorce is a, is a uh, unbiblical divorce is a sin, okay? But it's a sin that can be forgiven. Amen? But do we believe that? Did you know that, that it's, when you look at the list of sins that uh, sometimes are heinous sins, that there's just a list of them, divorce is never in that, that, that list. It, I was like, it's not in there. Now, it's not, it's, I'm not saying it's not important, but it is forgivable. So if you have, you're in a place where you're like, I divorced and I shouldn't have, and there's nothing I can do about it now, you know what you need to do? You need to do what you would do with any other sin, and that's confess it. I sinned. I sinned in this, Lord. Bring it to Christ. That sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Now, now obviously, we want to uh, uphold marriage, but divorce is not an unpardonable sin. Unbelief is. So I want to encourage you, if you're, you're in that place, there's hope. Bring it to Christ and begin living for Christ this, from this point forward. I want to close with 1 Corinthians 15, 15. This is the motivation for all of us this morning. It says, Jesus died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I want to remind us all that we have a God that loves us, that understands uh, our temptations and yet was without sin, and that he, he knows our weaknesses and our temptations. And, and because he suffered on this earth, he knows how to come to our aid in the midst of our temptations. So whether you're single this morning, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, I want to encourage us all to turn to Jesus, trusting in his sacrifice for us, and that we would seek from this point forward to glorify God with our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I, I love you. We love you. Um, we love you. <laughs> but it's because you loved us first. You didn't love us because we were sinless. You didn't love us because we kept your laws. We didn't, you didn't love us because uh, we did what we should have. We, you loved us in spite of that. And I just praise you that you, uh, because, it, because you love us, you came and died for us. You took every single sin that we've ever committed would, or would commit and, and paid the price for us so that we would live not burdened by our past but that we would live knowing that we are clothed in your righteousness. Lord, help us to get the truth of the gospel, even in marriage, that you might be glorified in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.